It's a really powerful, powerful story in the Old Testament. And it's about a man called Job. And he was a godly, wealthy family man who, for everyone looking in on him, would have seemed to have had everything sorted in his life. But on one normal day, a messenger came running to him with some really bad news. And he came and he said, sir, sir, you're not going to believe this, but the oxen were, were, were plowing and the donkeys were grazing and, and enemies came in from the east and they've, they've stolen all of your animals and they've killed all of your servants. I'm the only one to escape. Before this guy could, could finish, and another man comes running to him and says, Sir, sir, we were looking over your sheep, and, and a lightning storm came, and within minutes, all of the sheep and, and your servants were killed. I'm the only one to escape. Before he could finish, another man comes running and says, Sir, sir, enemies from the south have, have, have came, and, and they've stolen all your camels, and they killed all of your servants. And then unbelievably, before he could even finish, a fourth man came running and said, Sir, your sons and your daughters, they were partying. And this tornado has smashed the house. And sir, they're dead. So literally within minutes, Job went from a place of Seemingly having everything sorted in his life to complete devastation. And friends, the potential for, for this to happen in all of our lives is there. Where something happens that just turns everything in our lives upside down in a devastating way. Natural upheavals, personal afflictions, pain, bad news about illness. The breakdown of a relationship, death or sorrow. And that's even before we get on to how devastating it can be when we hear of national or world disasters, world poverty. We can have serious questions when we see terrorists flying planes into buildings, 200,000 people being killed by a, a tsunami. People... Monsters going into mosques to maul people down with their guns. Devastating moments. Every day our news is filled with tragic, tragic events. And often in those moments, people will wonder, where is God? Where is he? What's he doing? And people will question the suffering. Often tragic events, friends, will uncover our deepest and our most personal questions about God. Ultimately, we will wonder if he's in charge. He's got the whole world in his hands. Well, my devastation tells me something else. And as part of our What Is God Like series, we're going to think tonight about this age-old question. Is God still in charge? And it's really important for us to do so because there'll be people here within the sound of my voice, there'll be people listening online who because of personal or world issues are asking this question, is God in charge? 
And what I want to do tonight is first of all explain what I believe God being in charge means before sharing a few thoughts with you. But before any of that, I want us tonight to be able to start from a place that says it's okay to not fully understand this question. In fact, it's okay to not fully understand any study that we do in the character of God because God is infinite and we are finite. And if we ever get to the place in our lives where we believe we understand or know everything about God, all we're doing there is reducing God to our level. Good theology should always result in doxology. What that means is our thinking of God should always result in our praise of God. Our study of God should always bring us to a place of awe where God is magnified in our hearts and in our minds and enlarged, not reduced or or limited. So as we think about this question tonight, let's do so from a place of reverence for the unlimited majesty of God. In Job 36, 26, the message paraphrase of the Bible says this, take a good, long, hard look. See how great God is, infinite. He is greater than anything you can ever imagine or figure out. So friends, there is mystery in tonight's question because the bottom line is there are things that happen in life that you and I do not understand that are impossible to work out the purpose and meaning of. In fact, actually, the more we look at tonight's question, the more questions seem to get raised. I have lots of questions And that's okay. Questions express how you and I actually feel. And if it was okay for for Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, Job, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, and, and the list goes on and on and on, for them to question God in times of difficulty and doubt, then it's okay for us. In fact, our very Savior questioned the Father when he was on the cross. He said, Father... Why? Why have you forsaken me? So it's okay to ask God our questions, but we approach him in this question with humility. So how do we know if God is in charge? Well, as Christians, our first starting point is that the Bible tells us God is in charge and that he is in control. Now, some people will say that being in charge and being in control are two very different things. If you are the chief executive of a large multinational organization, you're in charge. But it's impossible for you every moment, every second of every day to be fully in control of everything that's happening within your multinational organization. However... As Christians, we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that he is in charge. And we believe that he is in control. Difficult as it is to to rationalize that at times, God is sovereign. He was before all things. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He was before all things. He created all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's also above all things. 
In Psalm 97, verse 9, it says, For you, O Lord, are most high, El Elyon, you are most high over all the earth. You're exalted far above all other gods. He also owns all things. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And God knows all things. And he also rules over all. Wait till you hear this verse. The majesty of it. First Chronicles 29, 11 to 12. It says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Amen. And that very clearly tells us that God is in charge. But hey, the Bible also tells us God is in control. Hebrews 1 verse 3, Christ upholds the whole universe with his word of power. Colossians 1:17, in him, Jesus, all things hold together. So we believe that God is sovereign, even when circumstances appear to state the contrary, even when we do not fully get or understand everything, even if our lives, as we've been singing tonight, are in the deepest valley or do not have that fairy tale ending, we still believe he's in charge and we still believe that God is in control. But we're not naive. And we, and we fully understand that belief in sovereignty is something that raises many questions in people's minds and we can be challenged about its, its truth in many ways and on many occasions. But we want to grapple with the issues in this church. We don't want to run away from them. If you're not a Christian, we fully believe in a God who is not distant, who's not remote, who's not removed from your situation and what you are going through and what you're experiencing. We believe passionately in a God who cares for you, who cares for each of us, is interested in each of us and wants a relationship with every single one of us. So I guess the ultimate challenge of tonight's message will be this. We believe God is in charge, but will you let him take charge of your life? Will you let him take charge of your life? But maybe you find it hard to trust. Well, hopefully our, our first point here tonight will help you with this. Our first point is this. God is in charge, but he cannot do everything. Some of you are looking at me in a funny way here. And I better hurry on before you throw me out for being a heretic. <laughs> it might sound a strange thing to say to encourage you to trust God, but it's true. Let me qualify what I mean when I say God cannot do everything. Because yes, we're fully aware of scriptures like Psalm 115 verse 3, which says God does whatever he pleases. Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. But one of the many things I love about this church is our emphasis on exegetical preaching, where we preach through books of the Bible to get the bigger, fuller picture. Sometimes 
It can be easier to say, look, this week we'll preach from that verse in Genesis. Next week we'll do that verse in Leviticus. Next week we'll do that verse in, out of Revelation. And it's a sort of a pick and mix of our favorite verses. It can sometimes be in some fellowships. And there's nothing wrong with preaching on a verse as long as in the preaching, the context, who wrote it, who it was going to, and the message of that book is given credence and respected. But it's also important when we preach on a verse to let scripture interpret scripture and get the bigger picture of what's being said. So to just say God does whatever he pleases and to just say with God all things are impossible actually doesn't give the complete picture because God cannot do all things. Let me share some things with you. Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 says this, God can not lie. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, God cannot even be tempted to sin because he is holy, high above all things. Psalm 119 verse 89 says that God will never go against his word forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 2 Corinthians 2.13 says, God cannot deny himself. He can never go against his character. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, God cannot change. How amazing is that? He's never going to change into some illogical monster. He will always be friends. He will always be the God who cannot stop loving his children, who cannot ever give up on or abandon us, and who cannot ever break his promises. Amen? Absolutely 100%. Oh, well, if God cannot do all things, then he can't be all powerful. Nonsense. It's pure fallacy to think that the very fact that God cannot do the things we have mentioned emphasizes and exalts his power and the truth that he is fully in charge the very fact God could not sin should bring us to our knees in dependence upon him the very fact God could not cease to be God or die should bring us to our knees in worship and adoration of his majesty The fact God cannot contradict his character or his word should bring us to our knees where we desire tonight to give our lives, our everything to him. He's a wonderful God and a logical God. Might when we get to heaven, turn around and say, huh, it was all a big joke. So the fact that God is limited, limited by the logic of his character, emphasizes and cries out to us tonight, we can trust him. We can trust him with everything that we have in our hearts and in our lives. So good theology says that God does whatever he pleases and he can do all things in accordance with his character, his will, his purpose, and his word. God's in charge, but he cannot do everything. That should help us tonight to see afresh or even more just how much we can trust him. Even in the midst of the storm, even when we don't get it or we don't understand what's going on, he's in charge and we can trust him. Who are you trusting tonight, friend? Who are you trusting? Are you a Christian? Online, are you following Jesus Christ? 
Because if not, in a few minutes, we're going to give every single one of you the opportunity to do just that and to let God take charge of your life. However, maybe you're thinking, Pip, it's all well, nice and good to get theology nice and neatly packaged about God being in charge, but my life's a mess. And everything in me is doubting what you're saying about sovereignty. If God's in charge, he needs to help me now. It leads us on to our second point. It says, God is in charge, but this truth creates many tensions. And you know, there are a number of dangers that can appear when we look at a colossus of a question like this. One danger might be to think that we can prove God is in charge by just speaking out those great moments and those great miracles where God intervened in situations. And testimony is important. And yes, we should absolutely celebrate every God intervention, but we cannot naively ignore a massively complex tension, which is this. For every story of a God intervention, there are stories, tragic stories, of people who still struggle because they feel God did not intervene for them and God did not meet them where they are. And we have to acknowledge those tensions exist. When a baby is pulled out of the rubble, days after an earthquake happened, we rightly thank God for the miracle. But we have to pray for the hundreds of other people who died in the earthquake. When a man's circumstances change at the last minute and, and he does not get on that plane which goes and crashes, we thank God for the intervention in his life, but we must weep with the hundreds of other people who got onto the plane. When a woman gets healed, we thank God and we celebrate with her, but we must be there for the woman who doesn't get healed in the way that she wants. And we need to grapple with all of the intellectual questions and the tensions that these scenarios raise about sovereignty. Another danger might be that we just feel the need to give out glib or, or trite responses to people's questions. Friends, bottom line is for nearly every response we can give about God's sovereignty in a devastating scenario, you can be sure another question will raise its head. We need to acknowledge that tension. Not run away from questions, acknowledge the tension. So when somebody questions us and says, why does God let people die in famines? Yes, we could point out, well, God is sovereign and he created a world where there's enough food, 3,000 calories for everybody to eat every day right across the world. Well, that only raises questions. What about those innocent people who are crying out to God day and night for rain to come and end the famine? When somebody says, why is there so much war in the world? We can sort of say, well, yeah, God is sovereign, but it's man's lust for power. It's not God, it's man's lust for power that creates so much war in the world. But then it only raises questions. Well, what about that innocent family that prayed to God for, for protection and their kids get killed in the war? It's almost like with every answer, there's the, the tension of a, another question raised that we cannot glibly ignore. 
Another danger might be to try and over-spiritualize every situation and everything that people are going through in their lives and, and use uh, scripture verses as sticky plasters where actually there's just these gaping wounds. Friends, God's word is truth. And when it's used in the right way, is mighty. But surely we need to be sensitive enough to realize that there are moments when we should not say to someone, oh, God's working everything together for the good of those who love him. Because often a person going through crisis will not be able to realize or see how losing their job or that divorce or that news of terrible news is God working anything out for good. Surely there are moments when we need to understand that no matter how much we explain that there's a bigger picture going on here, God sees that he's working everything out. It's not helpful from the perspective of somebody who's going through that crisis or upside down moment in their life. And surely there's never a moment where we should feel freedom to say to someone if they had more faith, they would have got their healing. God is in control. But this truth creates many tensions understanding sovereignty is complex. It's a complex thing to do. But responding to questions, we must do. But not as we've been thinking, with naivety that ignores complexities or with glib answers or just to create more and more questions or spiritualizing scenarios in an unhelpful manner. Often in crisis, people will question God. We need to respond with our time. We need to respond with our understanding. We need to respond with our love. We need to respond in the way that Jesus would do and with humility. And if you are struggling tonight, we want you to know that you do not have to struggle alone. If you need to get in touch with any of the pastors here, please do so because we're here to serve but folks, do you know, I am finding more and more in my life that I can only just but stand silently before suffering. Because there are things I just don't get. And I just don't understand them. But quite possibly, the response of lovingly and quietly standing with someone when they're going through crisis is much better than coming up with a glib or trite response to what they are going through. And you know, our response is so significant and our response is needed because I actually believe the church is one of God's sovereign responses to suffering in this broken world. You and me, I believe that we are to be as hands and feet in this world, that the way we live our lives, that people know God's in charge, that people know God loves them because as we be his hands and feet to serve and to love people, they see that through us. Oh yeah, the church is far from perfect, but God in his sovereignty has chosen you and he has chosen me to be part of his great response so that we're not alone and what a strength we can be for each other. But hey, what a light we can shine when we stand together to minister into broken lives. We must never ignore the reality of people's struggle, friends. God's in charge. He cannot do everything. But this emphasizes just how we can trust him. He's in charge. But this truth raises tensions. We need to respond to and acknowledge with love. But finally tonight, 
God is in charge and the cross proves it. The cross proves it. This series is called What is God Like? Well, as we grapple with big issues surrounding suffering, let me conclude by pointing you and those you're listening online afresh to Jesus Christ. Let me help you understand that yes, God has sovereignly responded to our suffering. He has sovereignly responded to our crisis. Yes, through the church, but the church is only possible because of God's ultimate manifestation and sovereign response to this broken world. You see, God's greatest sovereign response to brokenness in this world, it was not a sermon, it was a person. His beautiful son, Jesus, he did not stay silent, distant from or remote towards suffering. God did not wash his hands with a stuff you lot mentality. You sort out your mess yourselves. No, God entered our suffering and he knows exactly what it is like. He entered our humanity. He became one of our number. He joined our sorrow, folks. He shared in our pain by suffering himself. Jesus Christ was the greatest man to walk the face of this earth, the very son of God. And he set us an example of the how we should minister into other people's lives, of how we should minister into brokenness. And in Jesus, we see this ultimate revelation of the heart of God, a sovereign God who passionately cares for you and what you're going through right now and a God who weeps over a broken world. All Jesus did when he was on this earth was reveal God's heart. He stood up for the plight of the poor. He spoke out against injustice. He reached out to those marginalized by society, the weak, the vulnerable, the widow, the leper, the homeless and children. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. And the message of our sovereign God through Jesus was this. Love one another. Let the rich and the poor be seen as equal. Put each other's needs before your own. We know God sovereignly cares for you. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Now, what was the world's response to God's sovereign plan and God's sharing in its pain? Well, the world screamed. It laughed, it jeered, it mocked, it spat at and hung him on a cross. Today's response by many is still to reject God and wonder why we're in a mess. And there is such irony in a world that tells God to shove off but quickly blames him when something goes wrong. Friends, God is no bystander to your suffering or to mine because Jesus died on a cross and he didn't just die with us, he died there for us. He died for us because it was part of God's sovereign plan. Even before the world was created, God had sovereignly known that we would stuff everything up with the freedom that he would give us, but he had already chosen the cross. A cross his son would die on because Jesus was dying there to sort out your greatest problem and my greatest problem, and that is our sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God is in charge. The cross proves it. The cross was a defeat. It was a defeat, not for Jesus, but for Satan and all his plans to increase brokenness in this world. Jesus Christ, he was the only one who could step out of eternity and into time to die for the sins of the world. He, because he's God and because he's in charge, he was the only one, as we've been singing, who was able to to, to rise from the dead and smash the power of hell and death and give us a hope because he is God and he is fully in charge. He's the only one who can change our lives and give us purpose and meaning. He's the only one who can give you and me a relationship with God because he is God and he's fully in charge. And he's the only one in the uncertain world that we all live in who can give us certainty because he said, Give me your life tonight and I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. He says, no one's going to take you out of my hand. No one is going to take you out of my hand. And at the start, as we thought about our God, I remind us again, he's the God who will never stop loving his children, who cannot give up on or abandon us or break his promises. And here's another thing. Jesus Christ is the only one the only one who can give us the hope of heaven. Who else can do that for you? Who else? He's the only one who can give us the hope of heaven because he's God and he is in charge. That heaven, that majestic city which shines with the glory of God, that place where there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more hardship, no more sin, no more failure. The place where God's gonna wipe away every tear from our eyes. A place of fullness of joy. And what a hope heaven is in a world of distraction, disappointment, and deception. But you know what the central draw of heaven is, folks? It's not the streets of gold and all of that. It's this. The fact that one day we'll be with Jesus Christ, the greatest man to walk the face of this earth, the only one who has the power to ultimately restore God's great sovereign plan for this world. Why? Because he's God and he is fully in charge. If Jesus is not worth following, I really do not know who is. Please hear that non-Christian. If Jesus Christ is not worth following, I do not know who is. Why would you not give him charge over your life? Who else can you entrust your now and your eternity to? He's in charge, but he can't do everything, emphasizing how you can trust him. You can give him everything and he'll not let you down. He's in charge, but this raises many tensions and we have to acknowledge that, but lovingly reach out to and care for those in crisis. Finally, he's in charge and the cross proves it. Are you ready? Are you ready to give your life to God now? Well, just as you meditate upon what we've been thinking, Sharon's going to come and she's going to minister to us a song. Keep your heart open. Keep your mind open to this wonderful God.
and the difference he can make in your life tonight. I need you more. 
Let's show our appreciation, folks, to Sharon and to Kelsey. Let's all close our eyes together. What a beautiful song. And I wonder if the words of that song express where you're at in your journey because you are not a Christian and you know Actually, now you need God more than you need your very next breath. And just as, just as we bring our, our, our service to a close and a few minutes of quiet, I just want to give you the re- opportunity to respond tonight if you're not a Christian or if you are a backslider. There are so many things in life that are uncertain. Surely if there's a certainty in the middle of it all, we should grab it with everything we've got. And here is a certainty that God loves you. The cross proves it. He wants a relationship with you. And he will accept you tonight exactly the way you are no matter what you have done, no matter how much you have stuffed up, the cross will cover it all. Will you open up your heart to him? Corrie Ten Boom, who suffered much in Nazi concentration camps, went through many sufferings, said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Are you ready to make the decision that you know in your heart you need to make? Online, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ? Becoming a Christian is not going to get rid of all your problems, but I'll tell you this. I'd rather go through the stuff of life with Jesus Christ and struggle and stumble through it all on my own to a lost eternity. God loves you. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. So I'm going to ask, if you're online and and you would like to become a Christian, or maybe to recommit your life to God, why don't you get in in touch with us and, and email in to us you can email me, pip, at dundonaldelam.church. Please don't be embarrassed about that. Many times there have been people who have emailed in saying that they've become Christians, and we thank God for it. And if you need us to help you in your journey, please, please let us know how we can do that. But for those of us in the room, I'm just going to ask the question, Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know that you need him more? And if you want to become a Christian or to recommit your life to God, I'm just going to ask that in the quietness and in the stillness of this place, you'd lift your hand and and let me see it. And what we'll do at the end is we'll pray for you. So if you'd like to become a Christian, and I know at moments like this, your heart beats at 100 mile an hour and you're 
arm feels like there's a hundred pound weight on the end of it. We love you. God loves you. And we want to reach out to you. So if you want to become a Christian tonight, take the courage because I think you'll encourage other people here to respond as well. If you want to become a Christian this evening, please take the courage. Lift your hand now. Let me see it and we'll pray with you. cannot control the storms of life but we can choose tonight to set out our sail and who it is we're going to trust who it is we're going to follow if you want to give God charge over your life tonight just the last time I'm going to ask lift your hand let me see it friend and we'll pray with you Father, we just want to thank you so very much for the, the sense of your presence here tonight. Thank you for the, the sense that you are speaking and that you are touching hearts. Thank you that you are in control and that you're working out your purposes. And we pray to you, Lord, and we plead with you that for those in this meeting tonight who don't yet know you, that you would strive with them by the power of your spirit and give them no rest to lay and trust their lives into your hands, Lord. For those of us who do know you, Lord, may we leave here this evening fired in our spirits afresh because of who you are and what you're like. You are our sovereign God. Thank you for your sovereign hand and work in our lives. We are sorry for when we don't understand or don't get it all worked out in our heads, but tonight afresh we say we trust you, Lord. And we give you everything back, everything back tonight. And we ask that you'll help us to go into this week to shine for you, to live for you, and to make a difference in the worlds we live in for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.